Welcome, everybody, to Crystal Kyle and Friends. I am here with Crystal. My name is Kyle, <laughs> hence the name Crystal Kyle and Friends. Yes, all of you are yes. the friends, at least the ones of you who have subscribed on Substack. <laughs> um, so today we'll be talking to Will Meneker of Chapo Trap House, one of my favorite podcasts, if I don't say so myself. Enjoy listening to Chapo, especially on those long drives from uh, New York to D.C. Yeah, smart, quick, funny. Yeah, they have great rapport, those guys. Mm -hmm. They really do. That's a rare thing, too. Like, it, it takes some special alchemy to get that kind of chemistry going. Yeah, and they were fellow Bernie bros during the era. Mm -hmm. You know, we were sort of leading the charge. If, you remember when Jacobin wrote that piece about me? There was a line in there that was like, a, <laughs> they, they didn't mean to take a shot at, at Chapo, but it kind of was. No, I don't remember. Okay, well, in the piece. I mean, um, I remember the piece, but I don't remember Yeah, the in line. the piece, they were like, he's got triple the size audience of Chapo. <laughs> I remember reading that going, oh, I like those guys, don't, I hope they don't read this. <laughs> I, feel, I feel bad, but anyway, um, and by the way, I don't even know if that's true. Yeah, I was going to I'm not sure true. what metric that is. Yeah, I mean, they don't do, they're just, you're looking at YouTube. They don't do YouTube, they don't do just YouTube, right? Like they do, they're mostly, they mostly are just a podcast. And so yeah. it's apples to apples, apples to orange comparison anyway. You're putting you know me I mean? in an awkward position here because yeah, I don't want to be like, actually, babe, I think their audience is probably bigger. It probably is. Yeah. <laughs> when you go to their, uh, you know, I don't know what their, their numbers are on like Apple podcasts, Spotify, whatever, but I'm sure it's ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, all right. Um, let's, so before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about the whole Andrew Tate thing. So Everybody knows the backstory by now. Andrew Tate arrested in Romania. The, the charges are like human trafficking along with potentially rape. A uh, lot of yikesy stuff, if you ask me. A lot of yikesy stuff going on there. And of course, he's he's going down swinging. He's like, the Matrix is coming to get me, bro. Keanu Reeves is at my doorstep, bro. <laughs> and uh, it's just sort of, it, it's fun. it's been funny watching the same people who like talked about Epstein nonstop, which by the way, Good. Like, you should. That, that's Correct. the one that's serious. Right. But to go from that, like, bro, I care about stopping sexual abuse, bro. And then in the next breath, they're like, I've Andrew Tate's innocent. Right. He's totally innocent. Same people who, who cry all the time about groomers, the LGBTQ groomers, are now defending top groomer. Not even... Top G, top groomer. Yeah, and not even being agnostic about it. Right, and so... Like, you could say, okay, he's, you know, innocent until proven guilty. We'll see what they say, whatever, but... So I used to believe that. Mm -hmm. And in fact, in my first video discussing it, uh, discussing this case. Yeah, that was you, were the very, argument I made. you were very fair to him. The argument I, I made was like, look, if you want to say, hey, let the process play out, we don't know what the facts are yet, and then then make a decision. But right now, I'm going to say I'm agnostic, and, and we'll see where this goes. I thought that was a fair position, and it's also a fair position to say there's already a decent amount of evidence, so I think he's guilty. Those were the only fair positions, in my opinion. Anybody who's doing the hard, like, no way, bro, no way. It's like, okay, you're being silly, but I am retracting that segment that I did. Well, I'm not actually retracting it. It's going to stay up, of course. But like my argument- You're no for, longer agnostic. No, 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 no. Because no. I've, <laughs> now I've seen all the evidence. And right. the evidence is Andrew Tate from his own mouth. And Andrew Tate, I mean, he may as well have like tattooed on his fucking forehead. Like I'm a criminal and a sex pest. It's a big tattoo. But he, he might as well have done it. So anyway, we got a video. So there's this YouTube channel, guy's a lawyer. Um, and, and he's going to go through- <laughs> the video of Andrew Tate and sort of explain basic things. Take a look. These are his words, not my words. And I'm not going to take it out of context. You're effectively taking girls, teaching them how to make unlimited money from home and then making sure they give it all to you. So you're making sure that you're teaching girls how to make a shit ton of money. Right off the bat, he tells you his main goal is to have them work for him and him get all the money. Then I realized I had about five girlfriends, all smoking hall. And females are an asset. 
And why don't you work for me so we spend more time together? Or if you're doing what? So I'll have a webcam business. Oh, I don't want to do that. So, okay, I know you don't want to do that, but listen, come and let's have a meeting. Let's just talk about it. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. Fine. But let me explain it to you properly. In fact, I'll bring one of the girls who works for me. You, your bottom bitch, the new girl, you go out for fucking a nice dinner. Your bottom bitch is the one who does the selling. You don't do the selling. The girl has to hear from a girl. And this is where your bottom bitch has to be trained. That's why I said it's so important to have a good first girl. Remember Glenn Maxwell? That was the girl that recruited for Jeffrey Epstein. Almost identical to what he's talking about here. I had a separate phone with all my girls' guys in that phone, and I kept control of it. Don't let your girl have this, because if your girl ever runs off and leaves you, you don't want her to have an address book of all the guys she can get money from. Another aspect of control. You don't want her to have your client list because if she has your client list, she can leave you. So you've got to restrict her information. It's a systematic method of control to control these women. You want her to leave and go, well, I don't know the account. I don't have the password to the account. I've never set it up before. I don't know how the banking works. I don't have any of my guy's phone numbers. I have nothing. And that's why they don't want to leave because they're like, oh, well, he has everything. I need him. I have to stay with him. He has everything. It's important. I'm telling you, it's a very important element, that control. It's a very important element that control and they will leave if you don't have every aspect under control tax is also another important element for controlling your woman you're not going to pay anybody tax because you're getting paid in bitcoin you need to tell your girl that you're paying the tax because girls are lazy and girls are stupid and girls don't understand how taxes work and you're like oh okay yeah we've made this much money but i'm going to pay the tax to make sure we don't get in trouble now that allows you to do two things one is another control element See how that control is is a recurring theme over and over and over again? If I do it alone, I have to deal with taxes. Taxes are complicated. The control element. And he doesn't have respect for these women at all because he thinks they're stupid. It allows you to pay her a smaller percent. So I used to pay my girls 30%. So for every $10,000 they made, I'd give them three and I'd keep seven. They thought they were on 50%. And I said that the disparity is because of taxes. If they say, why is it 50-50? I'm the one who knows what he's doing. I'm the one with the knowledge. I'm the da 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 Shut the fuck up. Go online. Print out some tax forms. I used to do this all the time. I used to print out some random tax forms and say, yeah, sign here and sign this. What is it? It's for the tax. You want to pay the tax or not? Throw them away afterwards. But they, they think something's happening. Something real is happening. Nothing's happening besides me getting rich, bitch. Nothing's happening except for me getting rich, bitch. That's what he just said. So he's taking another 20% of what would have been their earnings saying he's paying taxes, but he's not paying taxes. His words, that's fraud, force, fraud, or coercion. Crystal, your thoughts. I mean, what they are accusing him, Romanian authorities, of doing is using what they call the lover boy method, where you essentially like have a girl that you, you know, you tell her you love her and this is your girlfriend and you take her out to fancy meals or whatever. And then ultimately you coerce her into this like, sex cam, like uh, cam porn operation that he is running. And he just literally describes the whole thing right there. I presume this is from his like Hustlers University thing, which is also another total like fraud and scam. Yes, it is. Uh, there was also a clip and uh, Griff was showing it to us before. He, it's him on the Fresh and Fit podcast where he's also describing in a decent amount of detail like what he does. And it's amazing because this is like somebody who thinks there's zero consequences for their actions. Like, okay, I think that guy did a phenomenal job of breaking it down and explaining like what was going on there. But yeah. it, let me let me bring this up to anybody who might be like, no, I, I still don't see it or whatever. It's not like uh, sex trafficking or sex crimes always comes with like, you know, we put somebody in chains and we put them in a basement and we don't feed them or whatever. No, they, what he described there, it's a system of domination, 
coercion and pacification. And he explained it in great detail. Also, there, you know, people have talked about how he took their passports. So it's like, you know, you can't really go. Um, there were also allegations of rape. And uh, we learned just the other day that he was arrested in 2015 in the UK on suspicion of sexual assault. Uh, you saw there he described basically, well, you don't have to pay taxes because it's Bitcoin. And like, no, <laughs> no, that's Anyone's not how it works. Pay you in Bitcoin. That should be fraud to start with. And, by and the then, way. <laughs> and then also, I like how after he shows that he do, he doesn't know how taxes work, he goes, "Girls don't know how taxes work." Right. Like, what kind? Of, like, for a sentence like that to come out of anybody's mouth over the age of like ten, girls don't know how taxes work. Like, what? Everyone? There's not a single woman that knows how taxes. Like, what are you talking about? There's a lot it, of it, female accounts out there, by of the course. way. I mean. I also like how he doesn't even really try to mask it. I mean, he says outright that uh, if they ask about the money, just say you're paying their taxes because originally you're going to tell them that it's going to be 50-50 split, but it's actually only going to be 70-30. And that extra 20% that you're stealing from her, um, you're going to say that's taxes, print out some tax forms, have her sign it. She'll think something's happening and, and you're just taking care of it for her. So, I mean, he's just outright admitting the lie, the fraud, all of it. And then the the levels of manipulation and control are so gross and so disturbing, have so many echoes and like abusive relationships of all sorts. Sociopathic. Sociopathic. Yeah, I mean, the, the layers that he's thought about in terms of how to control this person, how to manipulate this person's emotions, how to bring them into a webcam business that they had no interest in. I mean, that's the other part is he's like, she might say, I don't want to. And you're like, okay, that's fine. Just come over so I can explain it to you properly. And if you don't want to, you don't have to. The part about, and I thought- uh, Ghislaine Maxwell comparison was spot on. Spot on. That's exactly was Ghislaine's role in the whole Jeffrey Epstein sex ring is she would gain these girls' trust. She would initiate them into this whole uh, disgusting criminal world. And then she was the she was the one who could gain their trust and recruit them into it and coerce them and manipulate them. And it's the same thing. He's saying, you know, use your uh, what did he say? Like your bottom bitch? Is that what he That's said? That's what he said. Yeah, bottom, and, bottom bitch. Right. Use your bottom bitch, and she's the one who's going to do the selling. And that's why it's so important that your first girl is so good, so she can be trained in how to bring the other girls ultimately in. So he lays it all out here. And again, it's not like he's just talking here, this is precisely what Romanian authorities are now alleging that he was doing in real life. They're just going to play the video in court. That's what happened with Alex Jones. They just played video of him saying the shit. Well, and here's the other thing is, is he also has said outright the 40%, I think he said, of the reason I'm moving to Romania is because they have uh, lesser rape laws. I have or the quote like right that. here. Yeah. Uh, this is from Vox. Tate once said that he moved from the UK to Romania because, quote, Rape laws are more lenient there. Right. Now, I think he goes on to say, I'm not a rapist, but I just like the idea of being able to do whatever I want to do. And he's also said women are partially responsible for being raped. So it's a real, um, real winner here. And I think, okay, the most important point is there are some people out there who sincerely believe, and, and they say this, they're like, yeah. oh, this guy, he's threatening the establishment and the elites, bro. That's why they're coming after him. He is the establishment. He is the elitist. Mm -hmm. He's a multimillionaire who's flexing online and has made his whole persona about not just misogyny and sexism, but also consumerism and capitalism. 
That's his whole thing. Wearing the fucking Versace robe, smoking the cigar, mm-hmm. responding to Greta Thunberg. The luxury vehicle. Gassing up his Bugatti, and yeah. he has 33 Which fucking cars. Now reportedly seen. This guy is not in any uh, sense uh, anti-establishment. Right. He he is the establishment. He just overreached, got a little bit too big for his britches. Which, again, sounds a little bit like Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. I mean, the, the comparisons are, are astonishing. And we might find out that some of these women, you never know, Maybe we're underage. You might find that out. We'll see. But even if not, it's still crimes on top of crimes within crimes. The other thing I don't understand about it is like, you're rich now. Like you have your whole other pyramid scheme scam that's netting you plenty of money. You've got whatever your whole- Which, by the way, that shouldn't be allowed either. (laughs) That should be- Crack down on that shit too. Right. You have your whole other influence penalty scheme. Like, why do you have to, why would you want to do this? Why at this point? I mean, why at any point? But you see what I'm saying? Like, it suggests a level of just like horrible criminality and rotten to the core sociopathy. There's a psychological effect here that we need to learn a better, that we need to come up with a better term for or a new term for. It's the idea that it's almost like hiding in plain sight in a sense. It's the idea that, Mm. well, if you wear it all on your sleeve, then people can't even accuse you of X, Y, or Z. It's the Eminem trick in 8 Mile when he's like, you know, yeah, my dick's small or whatever the fuck he says when he does the the whole rap. I never watched that movie. Well, he attacks himself mm. to sort of nullify whatever his opponent would say. Mm-hmm. So if you if you lay it out there up front yourself, it's like, I'm yeah. not ashamed of this, I'm going to say it all, and then you got nothing to attack me for. Right. And there's an element of that in there too, right? It's like a psychological trick. Like if I just tell you everything I'm doing and show you everything I'm doing and I broadcast it to tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people, yeah. then there's some psychological thing where like, well, I guess it must not be wrong because he's openly talking about it. If he'd be trying to hide it, if it was actually a crime. But no, we just live in the era, guys, of the, of the brazen criminal. That's what we, we live in the era of the brazen scam artists. Well, shame is a real signaling device for people, you know? Correct. And so sense, if you show no shame, people go, oh, that's that you're be ashamed okay. of something, then that's a signal. Oh, they did something wrong and there's something underhanded that's going on here. But yeah, if you're just, if you're literally like built this whole platform where you're actually bragging about your horrible, depraved criminal behavior, then you don't get that same shame signal. And so there isn't that just like instinctive, like, ah, this person's doing something wrong. Yeah, it's old political trick too. If you tell a lie bold enough and you tell it over and over and over and over again, it eventually becomes the duh position. Or at the very least, you move the conversation. Yeah, so, I mean, you Trump know, is good at this, obviously. Trump's great at this, but also I think the best example of it was back during the Obamacare debate when the Republicans all settled on this line that like they're trying to kill your grandma. Like they have death panels and they're trying to kill your grandma. And they repeat that over and over and over and over. And what happened was, even if the public didn't buy into that in particular, which some did, some, you know, the right base may may have, you move the average person to like, well, I don't know if they're trying to kill my grandma, but obviously this thing can't be good because people are really talking about it like it's super fucked up. And so it's it's a psychological trick that, that works in many instances. But thankfully, the Romanian police were like, fuck you, because they were kind of making, I mean, they're making a joke of Romania, Right. right? They were making a joke of Romania. And so maybe that was one of the reasons it sort of lit a fire under their ass. Like, fuck this guy coming in here. Yeah, well, and who knows if you, I mean, some of the reports are that he was just sort of trolling Instagram, sending messages to any girl who looked hot on Instagram and seeing who would respond. So who knows whose daughter may have gotten a message from him too, where that official was like, fuck you, dude. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah, because he probably thinks nothing of like non-Western 
women. You know what well, I mean? This is a whole this is a whole business. He's got to be on his grind set going through Instagram and, you know, recruiting new girls into the scheme. Yeah. I, it, I forget the number he said, but the number of women that he had working for him at some point was preposterously high. It was ridiculous. It was like hundreds and hundreds of women. It's just, it's just anyway. All right. So there you have it. Uh, agnosticism, no longer in the conversation. I think it's sort of a, an He's open admitted to it himself. It's an open and shut case. Yeah. All right, so uh, over on Fox News, they're talking about one of their favorite issues, homelessness. Mm. You know, they really, over on Fox News, they care deeply about the downtrodden. They're Deep- all Christians. Deeply concerned they're all about Christians. the poor. And so when, you, you know, when you're a Christian, you care about the downtrodden, first and foremost, mm-hmm. the poor, the desperate, the desolate, all that stuff. So, so they're all in trying to help. So anyway, um, they're discussing the issue of homelessness, and I'll let Greg Gutfeld take it from here and give you his brilliant thoughts. I want to start with the, the, the preface that we all have to do, which is we're not talking about people on the street who are there not by choice, right? But however, we are starting to see that that is not even close to the majority of homeless right now. It is the transient lifestyle has now become glamping. Yeah. It's like there, you can go, you can get a tent, you can live there, and this is what happens. And I think what's happening is even the outreach, the volunteers, the people that work for the homeless are saying, man, this is a, this is just a scheme. This is now people are just doing it because they can live above and beyond civil society, which I get. You know, I understand what she's talking about. No boss, no bills, no mortgage mortgages, free meds, free meals. But there's got to be some reciprocity to society. Don't make our lives hell. You can have your commune in the desert. Hell, I'll help pay for that. But you can't be on the street defecating. You can't, you know, scare the crap out of our kids, right? You can't make our lives a living hell. We get it. We understand that there is a, that you don't want to live by our rules, but then you don't get to live with us, right? It's like the, the, the it's like the parents cutting off the drug addict and kicking them out of the house, no matter how much they love them. Cities have to do this. They're homeless by choice. They are not your children. They are not your responsibility. We are paying for that responsibility. (laughs) And it's their lifestyle. We are supporting a lifestyle. It's time to stop. I will pay to create that lifestyle as an experiment somewhere in the desert. Tents galore, drugs galore. Hell, I'll visit. I'll be the mayor. (laughs) What do they call that big party in the desert where everybody... Burning Man. Burning Man. Yeah, this will be Smelly Man. Yeah. (laughs) (sighs) Where do we begin? So Greg Gutfeld, the way he talks about homelessness there, first yeah. of all, he he says uh, the majority of homeless are there by choice. By choice. It's a yeah. lifestyle. It's a lifestyle that, choice. That's, and that really is like the foundation on which he builds the whole right. rest of his thing. Now, by the way, what they did in that clip is, and Media Matters post the whole thing. People can go take a look at it if they like. They find one homeless person who they interview, who feeds them all the talking points they want to hear. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, that's it. It's over. It's done. Let's yeah. like let's move on now. Meanwhile, Jordan Charity and I've seen him, and we covered some of this. He, I've seen him interview homeless people, and they don't tell the same story that that woman told. Of course, not. who basically agrees completely with the conservative narrative. It's their old traits, like find a black person to shit on black people, find a gay person to shit on gay people. It's what they do. Now they found a homeless person to basically shit on homeless people. What Greg Gutfeld does there, he says it's a scheme. Homelessness is a scheme, and he flips the power dynamics in society to make it seem like these fucking assholes are living high on the hog. Mm. These assholes, there's no boss, there's no rules, there's free meals. So, uh, Greg, here's my question for you. If it's such a wonderful life that you're glamorizing and acting like they love this shit, why aren't why don't aren't you homeless? What about any family members you have? Sister, brother, mom? Should they be homeless? I mean, the way you talk about it, again, you're acting like they're getting one over on everybody else. Everybody know everybody knows that's absurd. 
What they're trying to do here is, is confuse everybody in the conversation. At the very least, to take them to the position of like, yeah, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's sort of on you completely. And um, what I wanted to do in response to it was bring up, because people forget, in the midst of that sort of garbage, people can forget the overall picture. And the overall picture is the most important thing. So remember that Oxfam report that came out a few years ago? They found the world's richest 26 people own as much, uh, much wealth as the poorest 50%. 26 people have more than billions of people. What would that be like? 3.5 billion people? Mm. 26 people more than 3.5 billion people. The richest 1% bagged 82% of wealth that was created in, I believe the year was 2018. And that's just one example. It's similar every single year. I mean, this is like the idea that like, hey, it's a moral failing on all these people's part. It's on them. And they just didn't play the fair game the right way. Like the implication is that it's a fair game. I mean, there was a Rand report that came out in 2020. They said the top 1% has effectively stolen 50 trillion from the bottom 90%. Yeah. So if we just if we just kept the, the pay disparity and the wealth ratio the same from the post-World War II period until today, every single man, woman, and child in America would have an extra $1,166 every month for the rest of their life. So we have a system that's effectively rigged. It's totally rigged. Right. And so these people at the bottom, I mean, can you find a handful of them that were like, yeah, I, I like, yeah, I like this. I, I want to do this, right? But what are we talking about? Less than 5%, yeah. I 2%? Mean, I, just, I don't have the level of like moral outrage about that either. Like if someone wants to live in a fucking tent, I really don't care. Like if that's- But they're trying to act like it's all of them that right. want to do that exactly. or like 90% of them that want to do that. I, I know, yeah. but I just want to put that out there that like there's an assumption that we should be morally outraged that someone is deciding to live in a different way than you. And I just don't share that level of moral outrage. So let me just put that out there. But his caveat at the beginning- I think sort of says everything about his position because he said, oh, we all have to say, we're not talking about homeless people who were there through no fault of their own. <laughs> right, that's almost it's all like, of them. Well, you're talking about pretty much everyone then. And they're not bound by any sorts of like facts or data. If you can find one anecdote of whatever it is, then they feel totally comfortable extrapolating to the entire homeless population. And by the way, I think he's full of shit about his whole like, oh, I'll pay for their desert commune or whatever. No, you won't. I mean, the, the bottom line here is talking about the big picture. The big picture is that rent is unbelievably expensive and keeps going up and up. Uh, if you look in cities across the country, there is basically nowhere where you can afford to rent an apartment working a minimum wage job. So lo and behold, you have more signs of visible homelessness. Like, it's really not that hard to understand. Housing is too expensive, and so people are forced onto the streets. That's the bottom line of what's going on here. But are they talking about lowering rents? No. Are they talking about lifting wages? No. Are they even talking about how do we build, how, how do we get housing? How do we get people into housing? No, no. The whole thing is just about the in individual person and their moral failings rather than looking at any sort of systemic issues that may have created these challenges. So uh, there was a study I reported on years ago uh, where they found that it saves the taxpayers a lot of money if you just put a roof over the heads of homeless people. That's so, right. not, so not only is it the morally and ethically correct thing to do, it's also fiscally the correct thing to do. Like if you're, if you're a, a fiscal hawk, a conservative, 
you should just for the dollars and cents reason say, why don't we put a roof over everybody's head? Give them some of those like mini houses, you know, and, and just keep it moving. But they, they don't, they never, they never, ever, ever bring that up, which again, gets to the point of it's the shame of it. It's the, you know, it, this is on you completely. It's, it, they act like people can't be raised in environments that, you know, totally set them behind the eight ball before they begin when everybody knows it's so many people are, are in that scenario. Um, so he, he basically argues that like these people are choosing to live homeless and they're bilking the taxpayers. Right. Like, you know, and, and so I just told you it saves money if you put a roof over there, but you never hear these guys talk about, for example, the story that just came out from Responsible Statecraft a few weeks ago, the Pentagon failed five audits in a row. They literally can't account for 59% of their money. That is trillions and trillions of dollars. We have the F-35-2 plane, mm-hmm. which it's over $2 trillion how much they spent on this thing. It's almost like a plane that turns into a helicopter and can land like a helicopter would land. Yeah. There was a video that was, went viral the other day. They couldn't even fucking land this thing. $2 trillion. Right. Couldn't even fucking land it. Where's the outrage for that? If you really care about the money, which they don't, right? But if right. you really cared about the money, you'd be talking about this. You'd be talking about the multi-trillion dollar bailouts of Wall Street. You'd be talking about the $7 trillion when all said and done that's wasted in Iraq and Afghanistan. Right. They don't care. It's, again, it's all about you're a bad person. You are immoral. You are unethical. I'm going to shame you. And I want to make my audience fucking hate you and look at you like vermin. Because by the way, if their answer is, uh, we just, we got we to clean this up. We got to get this out of here. And then what? Where do they go? What do they do? Do you care? Of course you don't care. I ask, I don't ask that question seriously. I know they don't care. But what happens? This is what happens with these sweeps. They just, you know, destroy the 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 tents or whatever for these people. And then they they just kick them out to another place. Right. That's all it is. That's exactly so, that's exactly right. I mean, this is what uh Mayor Adams in New York. Yeah. Out of sight, out of mind. Just get them out of mind. That's it. And it has not it has not curbed homelessness at all. I mean, the policy has been a complete and utter failure. So what he's, what Greg's describing here, like we know it ultimately doesn't work. But your point is apt. I mean, it's it's socialism for the rich and rugged individualism for everybody else. There's no moral failing when it's wealthy people that we're funneling tax breaks to, when it's Donald Trump paying literally $0 in taxes or $750 in taxes, which is basically just a massive multi-million dollar government subsidy given into the former president's um, pockets. None of that is a moral failing. It's only when it's a poor person getting a hot lunch, you know, the most piddling of benefits that this becomes welfare queens, this becomes a a moral failing, this becomes a stain on society. It's only at the bottom end of the spectrum. Think of how often people at the top get subsidies, get tax breaks. Yeah. I mean, they, and those are very powerful people who have connections in the government. So, I mean, shit, they make a phone call and it's like, yeah, what do you need? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen examples of negative tax rates for Honeywell, for GE. I remember covering those stories. They've had like a negative, you know, whatever, 15% tax rate. So they net got money back from the government. Mm-hmm. They're phenomenally profitable corporations. Mm-hmm. And again, nobody says anything about like, they didn't fucking earn that. This is some welfare queen shit. Why are they doing this? That makes no sense. Right. You never hear that. But, you know, when it comes to the people at the bottom, God forbid, they were like outraged that the homeless people got to eat. Mm-hmm. Really? Right. Really. If he I said, oh, they're getting, list, they're getting food and free medicine. God forbid. If I had to make a list of stuff, like if, if, if you told me you can pick what your tax, uh, what your 
uh, tax money's going towards. And he gave me a list of stuff, you know, healthcare, roads, police, whatever, um, feeding homeless. Of course, I'm going to check the box for feeding homeless people. Would you rather have your money go towards that? Or would you rather have it go overseas and fight another stupid, aggressive war? Yeah. Or or would you rather have it go to some jet that doesn't even work? The fake jet that doesn't <laughs> even work. Or, or again, would you rather have it go to some billionaire who doesn't need a subsidy or some, mm -hmm. uh, you know, oil company that takes it for research and development when they don't fucking need that money. They're some of the most profitable corporations on the planet. So the whole, their whole like moral uh, compass is broken. It's just so manipulative you know? too. Yeah. The whole setup is so manipulative. And then they pretend sometimes like they're for, you know, uh, us, we're for the, we're for the people at the bottom. That's what we are over mm -hmm. here on Fox News. Right. Not well, like these elitist Democrats. Also, I mean, the whole analogy of like, oh, it's the parent kicking the kid out of the basement or whatever and telling them they got to they gotta make it on their own or like, you know, they're, they're struggling with drug addiction and you're just going to like kick them out so they can hit rock bottom. Like that shit is a terrible idea too. That shit definitely doesn't work. It does work. not work. Definitely doesn't Your work. Your kid is just going to end up dead instead of like struggling through something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you want to help somebody who's struggling with addiction, what you do is you, uh, you know, you talk to them, try to get through them. And then eventually take, take them to a rehab, get them like professional help, you know, like it's not to kick them out and act like this is obviously the right thing. What? Yeah. No, it, it's heartless. Anyway. All right, guys. Um, so let's go ahead and jump into the interview here with Will Meneker of Chapo Trap House. Really excited for this one. Enjoy. Will Meneker from Chapo Trap House. Thanks so much for joining us, man. I appreciate it. Cheers. Happy to be here. Yeah. So I was just telling you uh, off air, I'm a massive uh, Chapo stan. I uh, drive from New York to D.C. every week. And, you know, one of my go to's is I'll just I'll throw on some Chapo. And, and one of the things that I do, do you ever do this too, Crystal, is I like to do um, I don't do it like in order. Like sometimes I'll listen to some Chapo thing that came out like, you know, two years ago or three years ago or whatever, because, you know, to me, it's still interesting and, and whatever. But anyway, let's get into let's get into an interesting conversation here. So I mostly personally well, stick with. Uh, no, thank you. That, that is my favorite part about. Uh, <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> It's my favorite part about podcasting is how timeless it all is. Yeah. yeah. I'm the only one. I'm the only nerd who goes back to listen to like, what did Rick Perry say in 07? <laughs> you know? But, um, Sometimes so, that's hit in a new way, though, you know? I, I, I always enjoy it. But again, I'm a freak. So anyway, uh, we got a lot of uh, chaos going on right now uh, at the Capitol and interested in your thoughts on it. So the, basically, you have this wing of the of the Republicans that's sort of rebelling, led by Matt Gates, And I think Lauren Boebert is with him. And there was a list of like 19 or 20 who voted against Kevin McCarthy to become speaker. And, you know, when I look at that, I'm of two minds on it. On the one hand, this is kind of what like I was hoping the left flank of the Democrats would do to like hold back Pelosi to demand concessions. There was a whole force the vote conversation where they were like, hey, you should force vote on Medicare for all during this, you know, raging pandemic, or at the very least, just demand spots on committees or whatever. So I'm kind of jealous of the fight that the Republicans have in them. But what I find hilarious about this fight is when you look at what they're actually asking for, it's like the dumbest shit I've ever seen in my life. So like balanced budget amendment, shut down the government <laughs> over the debt ceiling thing. Right. It's like a list of the dumbest possible things ever. And it's also things that like McCarthy kind of supports too. So I can't help but conclude that like the fighting is over their personalities and, and, and careerist aspirations and things like that. Do you agree with my analysis? Um, yeah, I mean, like, I, I just following this from afar, it's just one of those things that's um, a little hard to get into because it, it, uh, it's basically just all about uh, rules and uh, the you know, archaic ways in which the House of Representatives is run. I will say it, it has been, and look, if you're, if you're into this kind of thing, it's been uh, it, enjoyable to watch um, a guy like Kevin McCarthy uh, what six or seven times now just have to eat a bowl of his own shit. I mean, cause a guy like that, 
a guy that ambitious but essentially uh, spineless. I mean, it is good to see someone like that get humiliated over and over again. But yeah, I'm sort of I I just I'm a little confused about what they're actually fighting over. I think it's just like Bo Burton Gates. They just don't like uh, Kevin McCarthy uh, for whatever reason. But I mean, it seems like regardless of how this shakes out, whether McCarthy is Speaker of the House, I don't even know who they're proposing as an alternative to Kevin McCarthy. They don't know well, either. They wanted Jordan. Like, they wanted Jim Jordan. Now they, they're saying maybe Scalise. Okay. See, uh, like the, the point being here is at the end of the day, like the Speaker of the House will be, um, you know, some uh, will be a monster and um, and like will be beholden to a far right agenda. Like, I mean, in order to secure the votes for McCarthy or whoever they're going to put there in his place, it just doesn't seem like uh, what like what's what's being contested here is it just it's just everyone hates Kevin McCarthy. I think so. I, think, I actually well, think that's that's part of it. That's definitely part of it. And I think for the more like, yeah, the like Matt Gates, Lauren Boebert sort of, you know, ultra MAGA or whatever we're calling them now <laughs> contingent. I think it's mostly, you know, they think he's a sellout. They're not wrong. He definitely doesn't. He's he's a total opportunist. He certainly doesn't have like a shred of principle. So they don't think he's going to be like a reliable ally. But, but more they for don't them, either. They right. don't either. <laughs> well, but more for them. It's the point of conflict is their brand. So that's what they get out of it. And there really is no concession that they can get that they're interested in. They don't care about like wielding power through the committee process or whatever. So that's one group. And then you have this other group that I think may actually be a larger percentage of the 20 holdout members that are more sort of like old school tea party, like, you know, with their balanced budget amendment requests. And they want to they want them to commit to cause a debt default, which could send us into some sort of like catastrophic economic collapse. So I sort of feel like on the one hand, I like you delight in watching a total weasel like Kevin McCarthy twist in the wind. I'm also fearful of like the actual chaos and havoc that they could wreak by some of the demands that have been put, put out there. Yeah, it seems to me like uh, I mean I was just uh, I was listening to some of Ryan Grimm's reporting this morning, and it seemed to be like the, if there's an issue at stake here, it's about um, holding the d- debt ceiling hostage, and like to the extent that like they want to guarantee that they can, um, you know, uh, I don't know how, how do you put this, uh, like basically hold the economy hostage as over well the threat of default to like cut spending on things like Social Security and Medicare, you know, the things that they've always wanted to do. Um, so like that that seems to be at issue here. Um, but I mean, like, I don't know, it's like any Republican would do that. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, what's the, I guess the, the value add for McCarthy is that, um, I don't know, he's just such a slug that like, he's just malleable to, to anything or like, like anything. But I mean, I think the interesting thing too, is that, um, the sort of, uh, like the, 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 the Taliban contingent as they're being called now are, have sort of. Uh, reached escape velocity from even uh, Daddy Trump himself because it doesn't seem like uh, his interventions in this in this debacle are are having any effect either. So I think it's a you know sort of like further evidence that Trump is getting kind of washed, or that like the the what the the permission that he's given. Um, the his political movement has sort of like he's outlived the the usefulness to like what he's empowered. Mm. Yeah, you know the lines are so blurred in this, and it's kind of hilarious to me because so yesterday I looked up 
you know that 538 thing where they track what percentage of the time these people vote with Trump? Yeah. Kevin McCarthy voted with Trump 97% of the time. Matt Gates voted with Trump 85% of the time. And it's weird because like when I talked, when I look at what the media is saying and how they're covering it, and I even had a conversation with my mom where she kind of mentioned it. And her conception of the thing is like, this is like the far right, you know, holding the, the moderate right accountable, but it's like, or, or going after them or whatever. And it's right. like, not really. Like, that's not really what's going on here. Because, yeah, Trump comes in and he endorses McCarthy. And then you have Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert and the rest of them are still like, no, we don't we don't support McCarthy. So to your point, it does look like he's sort of, um, you know, losing whatever control remains uh, left. But it's interesting because then you see DeSantis. DeSantis apparently voted against McCarthy back in 2018, but he hasn't said a, a word this time around which is probably smarter politics, right? He sees, you know, wherever the wind blows with the power and then eventually he'll be like, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm with them. You know what I mean? <laughs> I saw I saw Gates talking yesterday. It was like, you know, he's being like assailed by reporters in the halls of Congress. And his thing was like, um, you know, behind closed doors, uh, McCarthy did apologize to me for all the, uh, for the unfair things he said or the lies he said about our negotiations. He apologized to me. And then I said, will you apologize to me publicly? And he said, no. So I'll never vote for him. I mean, it's, it, it's great. It's like, uh, uh, the high school burn book. Uh, put that, read that into the congressional record. What do you make of the Trump piece though? And then because I, it's like, it's like, the people who are leading the charge here have definitely embraced his like affect and like the bomb throwing sort of like nothingness of what his ideology collapsed down to. But they and they've positioned themselves like they're the true sort of Trumpian ones, but then they're going against the dude that he actually endorsed. Well, again, I, like, I think with Trump, it's just uh, I, I think the the utility that um, like the or the revolution that he's brought to Republican or right wing politics is just um he's proven that um you know like like you you don't have to uh you don't have to shade too much about what you really believe anymore provided that you have a bombastic kind of like made for TV personality I think what he really did is that he he's proven like he he gave permission he gave permission uh you know uh, as a leader. And like the people who follow him, he's he's given them permission to like really let it all out, and he's shown that like you know that you can be successful. Like the, these these guardrails that are uh, of, of like discourse or certain things you can't say or suggest have really just been worn down to nubs. And uh, like I said, for for the people for for what he's you know midwifed in, into the world here, um, I think he's outlived his utility to that because I think they're done deferring to him as well. It's interesting because, you know, in the last election, the more Trumpy Republicans lost. Like, what was it? 53% of the Republicans running were deniers of the last election. And like, obviously, we can go down the list here. Herschel Walker, gone. Doug Mastriano, gone. Um, what's her face? Carrie Lake, gone. Like, and, and then you have people like Kemp who sort of remained. So in a weird way, it's almost like the old political rules sort of made a comeback in a sense. The more, quote unquote, normal the Republican was the better they did. And so for these, for like the Matt Gates and, and the Lauren Boberts to sort of now lean into Well, like, this, Bo like Boebert won by like three votes. Yeah, and now she's like, <laughs> like hard she's red throwing dessert. around her weight as if she has any political <laughs> yeah. capital. You know, I'm, I'd be curious if, I'm curious if there's going to be, uh, you know, any electoral consequences for this down the line. I mean, obviously, you know, the American memory is short. I don't know if they'll remember this fight by the time the next election rolls around. But the other aspect of this is, you know, the Democrats had had a tiny majority in, in the House and... You know, they were able to get a decent amount of 
milk toast stuff done, let's say. But the Republicans, they also have a small majority. And it's looking like these like the petty personal grievance angle of this might prevent them from actually getting anything done. Would you agree with that? Yeah, Kyle. I think, yeah, I know, seriously, and I've been thinking about this along the lines of, like, what, what we're seeing in this, you know, like, Matt Gates, Lauren Boebert uh, caucus, and, like, look, they're already feuding with Marjorie Taylor Greene. Like, she's furious at them for cutting her out. I mean, I don't know, I can't, like, I don't even know, what, again, I, like I said, I don't even know what they're fighting over, but I just see in this a mirror image of, like, uh, what's happening now on Elon Musk's Twitter as they, like, you know, uh, uh, shut down the laser containment grid from Ghostbusters, you know, and... Uh, the EPA guy makes them release all the ghosts and slimers back into Manhattan. Like that's going on on Twitter right now. But like rather than uh, being, uh, I don't know, auguring some kind of like nation fascism, I think what these guys are doing is what their their baseline setting, which is just reverting to, you know, backbiting and uh, petty grievances and uh, all the bigotries they have against each other for whatever reason. Because I don't know, like their 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 beanies aren't selling or they still think they're being throttled. But like these guys are all going to do what they always do, which is um, just, yeah, like rather than, um, I don't know, <laughs> demonstrate any solidarity or uh, attempt to carry out a political goal. I think that they're like, as we're seeing on Twitter, like these people already can't stand each other. And they're, they, you know, they're they're all fighting to sip out of the same toilet bowl, essentially. <laughs> well, and on the right, you know, you can have they the right has had like a, a burn it all down, destroy the government mentality for quite a while now. So there's no pressure on them to legislate and build something. That's not what their base ultimately wants. So for them having no. to fight and demonstrating that they're standing up against the establishment, whatever that means, which basically, you know, for them doesn't come with any sort of principles. It's just more of a vibe and an aesthetic than it is an actual policy yeah. or ideological agenda. That becomes an end in itself. And it seems to me that is the primary innovation of Trump. And with or without him, that seems to be the continued direction that the Republican Party is going to go to, even with this, you know, the election results that should sober them up and say, all right, maybe we need to, like, reform our ways. But the reality is, yeah, these people lost the general election, but they won in their primaries. This was what the base yeah. wanted. And I think what the base is going to continue to want. Yeah, I mean, there's no need to reform anything. And, you know, I, I think about this in, in terms of uh, something my, my colleague Matt Christman has said about uh, the contemporary state of American politics, where it's like right, left, whatever coalition you're talking about, if you're dealing with electoral politics or the machinations of who wins an election or what policy gets passed, like really what, what's being contested over is who gets to control the national TV remote. And I like I think whether you're like the of, of the of the of the Gates, Lauren Boebert, I think that they just want their I think they, they want to control the remote. They want to choose what channel to watch. They want to be on TV. And, you know, like it's just who you vote for for president is who, what, what show you have to watch for the next four years. And like because like, look, a uh, real like policy. Um, you know, po politics, uh, <laughs> things that matter. Those are out of all of that. I mean, that's out of our hands. That's 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 been decided already. And I don't think there's much hope um, that that's going to change in the near future. But what we can do is just yeah, decide what story we want to watch on TV. And I think that's that's equally true for you know Bobert and Gates and you know the Freedom Caucus, as it as, as it is for I don't know like uh, for anyone for anyone else in government. And I think they just they want to be the star of the show. They they want to be uh, like they want to be the character on TV. Yeah. So uh, Crystal and I were having this talk last night. Um, what do you think is going to happen? Because 
obviously he's not that close. McCarthy isn't. He was like, what, still 19 votes short, something mm-hmm. like that in order to get there. But he still has over 200 votes for him, um, which means obviously by definition, nobody else is remotely close. They were floated this guy. I forget his first name. I think his last name is Donald's. He's a black By- conservative. Byron. Byron Donald's yeah, I think or Donald, right. whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a, uh, yeah, but black. Never Republican heard of that guy before. I don't from know. Florida. Well, yeah, it's hilarious because what they're doing there is playing identity politics. They're, they're, they decided like, oh, let's make it historic by having the first black speaker and we'll have I him as like, our compromise candidate. I feel like it was more just like, this guy said he'd do it. No, it was definitely <laughs> cynical. Crystal, you know how they do it. You know that they pretend to despise identity politics and the second they have any opening for themselves, they're like, we have a black Republican. Oh, yeah. Yes, this is amazing. Love that. So, um. But what do you think is going to happen? Because it's possible, you know, whatever, McCarthy pulls through in the 12th round of voting. It's also possible that uh, they they compromise with Steve Scalise. Originally, they voted for Jim Jordan. That was like the protest vote. And then Jim Jordan was like, I'm voting for McCarthy. Like, I, I want McCarthy. And so I'm curious what you think is the most likely outcome. I, I mean, I think the most likely outcome is probably just McCarthy as Speaker of the House. But I know what my most preferred outcome would be, which is that that, that this just this is now Congress that like they don't have enough votes to stop voting for Speaker of the House, but they don't have enough votes to decisively choose a Speaker of the House. So I would like Congress to mean I think I would like Congress to be trapped in a kind of uh, an, an, an endless reoccurrence, a, a Mobius strip of just uh, not having uh, having to vote for something over and over and over again with the same result and achieving nothing. And then I would like uh, uh, Emperor Biden to finally uh, come in and just take power away from Congress because the, the, this farce of representative democracy has gone on far enough. And I think it's time for uh, Emperor Biden to uh, assert assert authority on behalf of the citizens of this republic. So I read, did you read this, that there's some speculation that you actually don't even need a Speaker of the House. It would just like... It, I didn't like, say that. It would All default saw, to the majority leader. That would be like the default. Really? All yeah. I thought was that basically like they can't do anything until like they have to take this vote. And they can't do anything else on the House floor until this is resolved, is what I was my understanding. But I can't claim to be like an expert in the super intricate details of congressional House procedure. There is nothing in the rule book that says a dog can't be Speaker of the House. So let's just get a sort of a national you know, people, mascot in there. People don't and bring like that up. Paw the ground once for yes, twice for no. Air Bud. I'm voting for Air Bud for Speaker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> People do always talk about like, oh, you don't even need somebody who's like elected, bro. So you can like get Trump and stuff to be speaker. You've heard that one before, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, Bo- <laughs> Bobert actually floated uh, nominating Trump. Uh, I think that just happened today or yesterday. I don't know. Um, and then he, didn't, he wouldn't even want to do that shit. <laughs> the other. Uh, he, he was president of the United States. Do you think he wants to be speaker yeah. of the house? Can you imagine? You have to, like, like, uh, to... Work with people to do things. He right. doesn't want that shit. And it, I'm going that to that would be off. a nightmare for him. Like this. Well, that's the other question. Yeah. It's like, why? You would... have to actually be in Washington all the time. He yeah. doesn't want to do that. Yeah, why would golf. anybody actually want this job at this point? I mean, I mean McCar- McCarthy, point. if he gets if he if he gives them whatever things they're asking for and manages to pull enough of them along. Like, yeah. this is going to be a total hell and a nightmare how, until he's done with it. How many times have we seen this happen, Crystal, where it's like, who was it? It was John Boehner was the Speaker of the House. And then you had like the young guns like McCarthy and Eric Cantor who right. were like, bro, you're a sellout. We're the more principled ones. Like, we want to be in your position, bro. And then eventually Cantor got into some position in leadership. And then everybody started calling him a sellout. 
And right. then it's like, and then it's just, and, and David Ryan Brad beat him in, in the election too. Paul, same thing with Paul Ryan. It's the same cycle over, over and over. But again, the reason why it's so comical to me, especially on the right, is that when there were, when there was fighting to the extent there ever is any on the left, there actually is some like core disagreement there. It's like, hey, yeah. we're in favor of universal health care and you guys want to like lie to everybody and barely tweak the system and give like seven people more health insurance. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas on the right, it's just like, we all agree, but fuck you. They're willing to fight in a way that's impressive and maybe even more impressive because it's literally over nothing. And then the left actually has an agenda, but totally unwilling and to they fight. they cuck themselves to Pelosi. <laughs> so, like, yeah. yes, queen, yes, queen. I would, uh, I would, I would, I, I would, I would kill if there were like a, a Taliban contingent of Democrats that could sink Hakeem Jeffries. Oh, hell yes. Rise yes. To power. Hell yes. I would love to. Well, do that's, that. like, I mean, and that's the other part of this. Rather than is... just have, the, have, have this asshole just be like personally picked by Nancy Pelosi and everyone just decides, oh, yes, it's Hakeem Jeffries time now. Because, I mean, like that guy is, he's terrible. Get him terrible. out of there. He's awful. And, and Pramila, um, by the way, thought yeah, she would like, get I the job. Like, speak... Pramila Jayapal thought she would get the Pramila Jayapal? She oh, was, really? She oh, thought, she honestly uh, yeah, thought yeah, she yeah. would get that oh. job. And she cucked herself to Pelosi 18 times over. Yeah, to yeah, be like, no, no, yeah, exactly. She, yeah, she was going to get the job in exchange for um, retracting their eminently reasonable statement about arms sales to Ukraine. Exactly, right, exactly. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the other part of this that's grating on me is, you know, of course, the way the media portrays this is like, oh, the Democrats are so unified and they're being so oh. disciplined <laughs> because every single time, every one of them votes for Hakeem Jeffries. And I'm like... That's not really a good thing. I mean, this is another instance where Democratic leadership wants the whole caucus to stay together. So if you were interested in putting up a fight, interesting in like wielding power and using the leverage you have, there is actually another opportunity here for the left. But yeah, when they put up Hakeem Jeffries, I mean, there wasn't a squeak of criticism. Nope. Not a peep. Nope. Not a anything. Nope. <laughs> from one single person within the Democratic caucus. But, you know, I mean, Hakeem Jeffries is like the perfect Democrat. And like the thing about Democrats is like, yeah, like they're at least in contra contrast to the Republicans right now, they're behaving like a political party and like working, uh, you know, in unity. Um, they, you know, they have like a, a solid caucus. But the thing about the Democrats is like, look, they, they can absorb like any politics into a democratic coalition as long as it is not a competing uh brand of progressivism it is not a competing view of progressivism that's the one thing that they can't allow ever to happen but like uh, barring that they, they, they'll they'll be happy to have you know like lynn cheney uh on their side they'll be happy to if she switches parties to become a democrat they'll they'll, they'll she'll be probably be a, a vice presidential nomination on a democratic ticket soon soon enough and you know like uh, just you know, like the, the, they they certainly they behave. They're right now. They're be, they they behave like a political party in the sense that uh, they like they they act in in unity uh, to stop any like ch challenge from their left. Like the, if there is any, whether you want to call it the socialism, the left, liberalism, progressivism, uh, they could the, the one thing that like structurally matters to them that is an existential threat to them is any. Um, any competing brand for like what what is what does it mean to be a liberal or a progressive or broadly speaking on the left in this country and but outside of that i mean like they can they can absorb and uh you know work with any any politics uh, any any political tendency or politician so okay. if i was if i was steel manning their case i would say oh what they're trying to do is 
make sure you don't get on the shit list of the people who are the leaders in the party so they don't kick you off committees. Like, basically, their argument would be, well, we're going to have more power if we play the game a little bit, and yeah, Hakeem Jeffries doesn't agree with us, but there are no other options, nobody's stepping up. So we'll go along with that, and then maybe we'll actually be able to make more change because we played the game up front, and so we're not despised, and so then we can actually influence policy more. But, but, the problem is, they've been trying this for fucking decades, and they, they never get anywhere it's not even like oh we get a few more crumbs when we do this versus if we fight it's like no you literally have no. nothing to show yeah. for it ever and you know like and, and and by contrast like the republican party though though they may be they may seem to be in you know in disarray now and like yeah it's a, it's a shit show over there but the thing is like broadly speaking they do behave like a traditional political party in that they are broadly speaking more uh, uh you know uh they're 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 disciplined by their voters and by their base in a way that the Democrats simply aren't. As you know, Kyle and Crystal, I'm sure you're aware of that. The Democratic base is very much disciplined by party elites and uh, party aligned media. And whereas like the Republicans have to follow their base to a certain degree. But that's because I think overall, whether like, you know, moderate or mega or whatever, like they because they are trying to enact and advance a an ideal, an ideology, a, a political vision enacted through policy that, that they want to change power and policy politics, like, you know, the, the things that political parties are supposed to do. Whereas the Democrats, the only really political goal that they are structurally as a party loyal to and like that will fight on behalf of is just maintaining the democratic brand as the only viable alternative to this snake pit of fascists and like mouth breathing cretins on the right. <laughs> and why does that work so much better with the democratic base? Cause the Republicans sell their own version yeah. of, you know, the democratic party is an existential threat and this is the end of America and they're coming for your children and God knows what else they're saying over there. Why does doesn't that serve to discipline the Republican base in the way that it seems to really work with the Democratic base? I don't know. I mean, my, my guess it would be because of just like the like a, a sort of like a, a, a split in like identity and education among because I think education and higher education is largely the way in which uh, you, one sort of imbibes like the democratic politics or fits in the sort of the credentializing nature of college and the professional fields like to get access to those jobs you need to be credentialed by college and the thing is like college really does turn people into democrats like that's not that's not that's not cap but i think like you have to be educated to a certain degree to um uh to, to find yourself deferring to your betters because i think like that's a lot of what uh, you know like co college and the, and the professional you know sort of getting credentialized I, th I think that's what that teaches you i think like i uh, you have to be educated at a certain level to have a mindset where you're like oh like uh the people in charge know better than i do like or like or they let's you know let's be serious here like you know uh hey sure medicare for all sounds good but like have you thought about the unintended consequences of uh, getting rid of private health insurance companies you know like i i i think i think democrats i think the democratic base or like you know the the liberal voter like a they like they're they're more like despite what republicans like may advertise about you know drag queen story hours and like all the shit they try to horrify their base with i think democrats are you know and not without good reason uh more afraid of the thought of uh untrammeled republican rule especially if you live in a red state or like you know outside a major city like because i mean like these are real i mean like, there are real differences between the parties that like will will and do affect people's lives and so i think like the the how insane and, and evil the republican party is is a good dis is is the most effective way of disciplining liberal voters because like
like you know in a two party system like look we we haven't yet come up with a with, with a way out of this yet um so if the, if if that's the alternative like you're always worried about what you know the the risk of um losing something rather than gaining something better yeah so i i co-sign all those points those are all i think definitely correct and to add to to answer your question crystal yeah. um and you also touched on this too will that the media sort of disciplines the democratic base like we saw this during the uh the the primary season right. where it was like yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we all like Bernie. We agree with the policies he puts out there. But I mean, we gotta we gotta beat Trump. To your point, and and who's the only one that could really do that? Who's the one who's battle tested? Who's the one who's the safe candidate? And you get that message over and over and over and over. One guy's pie in the sky, unicorn fairy dust stuff. This other one over here is the serious one. And so the media serves this role of discipline, disciplining the left and and limiting the Overton window. And that's my my second answer to the question is, um, yeah, when you look at the Overton. Window, window of political discourse like what's the fringe right in, on the overton window it's like nick fuentes and kanye west who are like <laughs> we love nazis they're super based and so you get you get yeah, super like, far right this is what I mean communists. About the, yeah this is what i mean about uh like you know like um uh granting permission and that, like you know, like that, as as a liberal voter or like MSNBC watcher, like you're the the range of things that you are granted permission to believe in or say is very well policed. Whereas now on the right, like this is what I mean, like. I, I, I even I thought like five, ten years ago, like there are certain things that like, you, I mean, look, we'll, we'll see how successful they are with it. But I didn't think I, I we would get to a point in this country where like a, a large contingent of a major political American political party is uh, openly embracing the uh, <laughs> openly embracing the statement. I like Adolf Hitler and the Nazi party. I thought that like even that even even as insane and cynical as I am uh like it's just a good example of the options available <laughs> if you were on the right of what is now allowed what has now been you know like and and these are the people disciplining the party elites not vice versa as much as they'd loved as much as they're trying to put this all back in the in the, put squeeze that toothpaste back into the tube I don't think it's going anywhere Yeah you could watch the Overton window move in real time in that Kanye interview with Alex Jones where like Alex Jones ends up looking like some reasonable moderate person, and you're like, you know, maybe this guy's not so bad. And a lot Kanye, of his audience turned on him, right? As Kanye, he, he had to be, he had to be cringe. He had to be a scold. Yeah. He, he, had to, he had to scold Kanye. Like he was the one looking like a, he was looking like a damn lib out there, trying to like giving him every opportunity to <laughs> Tim to, Pool to, to fucking uh, get out from under the thumb of what he just obviously said to a national audience. Tim Pool too, exact same dynamic. I mean, Tim Pool mildly oh, yeah. pushed back on outright Nazism, and his own audience was like. L Tim Pool, L Tim Pool, don't want to be based and talk about the Jewish question. <laughs> is what we're dealing with, man. And there is no counteracting to that. There is no like, who's the like A-list celebrity open communist, you know what right. I mean? Who drags the Overton window back in the other direction. Years and years ago, back when Bill Maher was sub substantially less shitty, he did a good new rule segment where he was like, if you got to counter the Tea Party with like, you know, um, uh, drive-through abortion centers <laughs> where you can get, you know, like just come up with the kookiest 100% tax on anybody who makes anything over $250,000 a year. You know what I mean? Like there is no left equivalent of that to sort of drag the Overton window back to the place where when I say, and when you say, hey, we want universal health care, people go, oh, that's actually really reasonable. You, you know, but it seems like it also doesn't work the same way in the left. It doesn't, because yeah. 
if you like, for example, you know, you stake out the position, abolish ICE or defund the police. You don't get credit then if you uh, ask for like a more moderate centrist version of that. Instead, what happens is they say, well, the defund the pe- police people, because that slogan was unpopular, they ruined everything for the whole party. Yeah, they party. whip you into line. Yeah. Versus whip- with the Republicans, if you are Brian Kemp and you're in reality from a policy perspective, a far right lunatic, but you distance yourself from Trump on this one election issue, you get lauded with, oh, so reasonable, so moderate, and a lot of electoral benefits that come from that. Yeah. And like, and of course, like, uh, you know, the, the Democratic Party, like, uh, I think one of the we, one of the ways it, it maintains this discipline over its voters is like the, the need in, in, in inculcating this need, um, like this pose of seriousness that they're always looking and hoping for like a good Republican Party. Like, in fact, Nancy Pelosi said it herself, like they don't want a unified Democratic government. They never do, because then, they, then the, that would create expectations. Then they would have to legislate in a way that is fundamental. Fundamentally, um, of, of what their voters want, like, you know, center left or whatever, the things that the average Democratic voter want in terms of policy uh, stand foursquare against the, the donor class of the party, the, the, the people who pay and own everything and the people who actually run everything. So they, they just want a Republican Party that's like just bad enough to not say I love Adolf Hitler, but basically nothing else than that. Do you think that that moment... Because cause they need it. Like, they, you got to have the carrot and the stick, except with the Democrats, it's just a stick. Like, where's the right. carrot? Right. I don't see any carrot here. Um, yeah, no, I think that's all very true. I mean, do you think with the, the Kanye Nazi situation, <laughs> do you think he gave permission to people who already felt that way and were already, like, on Team Hitler to be more overt about it? Or do you think that he actually pulled people to his position by saying it? Uh, no, I don't think he's pulled anyone to his position. I think, like I said, I think he has uh, empowered people who are already, <laughs> already Hitler curious or adjacent. Um, but like, no, these people are already committed Nazis who are just looking for, like, because they're they're thrilled to have anyone of of, of his stature or have like a, 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 that mainstream to be uh, openly touting neo-Nazi beliefs. But I'm, look, I, I think they're going to be disappointed. I don't think I don't think I mean, like, I think outside of the people who are already uh, had already bought into uh, fascism, I like I, I think this has been a disaster. I don't think it's I don't, I don't think I, I, I'm not expecting some kind of explosion of Nazism in America because Kanye West, because the thing is, he, he looks ridiculous. There's like he does not look like you know the the Ubermensch. He looks like a man, a, a bipolar man having a mental breakdown. And I'm not saying that like that's why he believes the stupid shit he believes, or why he's saying these things. I think he's responsible for his own beliefs. But I mean, he, he like like all this shit. He's just he comes across like a massive loser and a baby. And I don't think that this is like an impressive case being marshaled for like uh, uh, fascism or uh, American neo Nazism here. I do not expect. I, I'm, I'm not afraid of the, of what Kanye has unleashed. I think he has just uh, allowed uh, the same group of, uh, you know, uh, uh, socially maladroit Internet babies to get a little thrill and juice out of saying things openly. And then like uh, uh, sort of um, what, what they love is the idea that they're making people uncomfortable and that like because like if you can't be respected or liked by anyone in your life or, uh, or, or around you, then you can uh, you, you can assuage that by imagining that you're feared and hated by strangers which is better than just being ignored or just a nobody. Mm. 
you know, there's this Love weird that. thing that I saw happen in the wake of the Kanye thing with like, you know, commenters and people who were sort of like on his side. And I also saw this recently when, uh, uh, what's the football player's name who went down? Damar Hamlin. Damar Hamlin. Yeah. yeah. So I saw this in the wake of that too. There were a bunch of like right wingers who popped up. Charlie Kirk is one of them. And there were others who were basically like, this is all too common a scene now of, of athletes dying suddenly. And there was like a whole bunch of uh, tweets that were saying the thing without really saying the thing that mm-hmm. they think it's about the vaccine. Right. Yeah. And same thing with the, the people who reacted to Kanye, who were sort of on his side. A lot of the people would be like, Hey, he's asking reasonable questions. Why is there so much overrepresentation of of a certain group in certain positions in society? And there's something about that that I find so chicken shit. Because like one of the things I pride myself on is just say the thing you're trying to fucking say. Don't tap dance around it. Just say the fucking thing. And these people, I would almost respect it more if they came out with like, yeah, I think the vaccine caused him to fucking do this instead of tap dancing around it. And I would almost respect it more if they went full Kanye and said, yes, I'm a Nazi. You know what I mean? But they don't do that. It's kind of sad. Yeah, it it shows that they are still to a certain degree playing by uh, the rules of American discourse, which you're right. Like that for the most part, like once you get tagged with a swastika, like it's like inglorious bastards that's carved into your forehead. Like there's no going back from that. So, I mean, it's just a process of like the ever receding horizon of like how close up to that line you can get. And what I've noticed now, especially with the Kanye thing among uh, people on the right, like Charlie Kirk or Steven Crowder or whatever, is that like because the thing is like uh, the. Uh, you can't go too much against the line because like Republicans have to like love Jews. They love Judeo-Christian or Judeo-Christian history. They love Israel. So like, so how do you do with like the open hatred of Jewish people? Well, I think like the, the, the rhetorical tactic that they've uh, landed on now is like, uh, if you notice the thing where they say, uh, yeah, Kanye is talking about uh, people with Jewish last names. Like they're carving out this exception, this idea that like, oh, like the, these Jewish people that he's talking about are secular. They don't even believe in God. So they're not actually Jewish. So like we're, we're, we're like, you know, we love Jewish people, a.k.a. like, you know, people who vote Republican and are very religious or like Orthodox in some way. But like, you know, that's maybe 15 or 20 percent of American Jews, like most American Jews are uh, reform in one way or another, like, or, you know, consider themselves Jewish, but are basically secular, at least by the standards of, you know, Charlie Cook and Charlie Kirk and Stephen Crowder or whatever. But yeah, they're still trying to have it both ways because like they're, they, they, they still need to have this part of themselves. They're like, oh, no, I, I, oh, I like Jews. Like, I'm not slandering the Jewish people. I'm just slandering like, you know, the 80 percent of them that I would like to, you know, let's just say deal with. Yeah, they, yeah. McGinnis said that too. Like, oh, it's the liberal atheist Jews. It's the secular yes, Jews that are the problem. That's where we were watching. Which is it. hilarious because it's like redirect your hate from and the like, Jews. You, know, to you just can all only liberals. you can only come up with that if like you've never grown up around Jewish people or you have never literally even met a Jewish person. Yeah, yeah. And by the true. way, ironically, the, <laughs> honestly, let's keep it real. What's the worst of every religion? The fundamentalists, the literalists. Right. And they give a total pass to like the ultra orthodox ones, you know? Right, because they're they're politically aligned. Right, yeah, exactly. Because they love Israel. Right? Yeah. That's so true. Well, and it gives them an excuse, like you were saying, Kyle, kind of tap dancing around this thing to shift the conversation from like Jews are bad, huh? To like Hollywood elite right. woke mob, blah, 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 which is the comfortable terrain for them. Well, like I said, that's why I think Kanye is that this has been a disaster for them because like he he said he like he's gone further like he's he's fully crossed that line and then as you saw like we were just talking about with like Tim Pool or Alex Jones they understand that like all their fans are banging for this kind of shit they need it like they like the the like the the they're not getting they're not getting their fix anymore from like they 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 they're going on to the harder and harder stuff. 
Um, they know their audience is banging for it. They're demanding an answer. They're demanding that the the Jewish question be be raised and debated. But like, I mean, like the but but they're, but they're but, but like they're straitjacketed by this now because like they 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 they're trying to manage something that's fundamentally unmanageable once it once it's out of the box. And I think that's why most of them are you know reverting to this chicken shit thing of trying to massage it to make it sound like they and Kanye West are not what they flatly appear to be, which are like you know <laughs> neo Nazis. Will have you followed the whole uh, the George Santos situation? Because I'm oh I love it. I love it. I, he's my he is my favorite American politician. And like I said, like I've I've found most of like the, the endless voting for McCarthy as speaker to be like you know it. Like I said, it's fun to watch someone like that be humiliated over and over again. But I, it's mostly not a lot of juice in that story because like I don't think it really matters one way or another who's speaker of the house. But the one thing I have loved is just seeing fucking is just seeing George Santos just sort of like haunt <laughs> haunt the halls of Congress like fucking like Banquo's ghost or something just with his weird ass his tie isn't tied correctly he's got such a strange baby face and he's just sort of like there in the corner of everything no one wants to talk to him or look at him isn't but he wearing he's just, like he's a just sweater there. vest or something too he's wearing it's like oh man he, he his lips look so kissable they're just so <laughs> like, he's got a lot of gloss on he's looking very he's got he's got a lot of gloss on he's looking real shiny but uh, that guy is incredible. That guy, dude, I, I, everyone's like, oh, how could he be in Congress? I'm like, how could he not be in Congress? <laughs> they should make him Speaker of the House. He's the best politician that's ever existed. It is, it is uniquely American, isn't it? It's yeah. a very American story. Absolutely. It's like, I'm going to go full bluster, bravado, lies, over the top, and just sort of charlatan my way to success. Well, he also found this sort of, like... I mean, it's not even a crack in the system because it's so obvious, but he just told people whatever they wanted to hear. Yep, that's right. So, you know, he's running in this sort of moderate-ish Long Island district, and he's like, I'm a gay son of immigrants. I'm a trailblazer. Don't worry about, like, my policy, whatever. Don't worry about that. He fully leaned into the identity piece, but not just with the voters. Like, he told, you know, wealthy donors whatever they wanted to hear to for them to apparently funnel him millions of dollars for his campaign is what it looks like. You know, he told the Republican Jewish coalition that he was a proud Jewish American and that his grandparents were Holocaust survivors. Like, he just literally fed people whatever in the moment. He said his mom died on 9-11. Yes. Right, yeah. Right, he, he said he had that. employees who were murdered in the uh, Pulse nightclub. Night shooting he was getting dragged on twitter these are for, very these are very fact checkable things these right. are not clean. <laughs> i know but you know i was i was thinking about this a lot this week because it's santos who's so pathological and you're like how in the world did no one really catch on to this until this dude is already in congress and it was his second time running too so they had two chances to to catch up with him but you just look around and it's like the whole nation is filled with scammers. I mean, the whole crypto yeah. thing is nothing but a scam. Yes. NFTs, you know, so you've got that going on. The whole influence e peddling every, economy. Every, every goddamn call I get on my cell phone from someone that's not already in my phone contacts is, looking to, is someone looking to rip me off or scam me. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, like... Uh, uh, that's that's the only you know like I said like uh, the economy we, uh, hey the economy it has to keep growing all the time has to keep growing the rate of return on profit that that's plummeting so like where's the juice left to be squeezed it's just in fucking these petty penny anti scams and just everyone just ripping each other off twenty four seven and so and yeah like Santos is the perfect American congressman yeah and uh, I mean look at who came before him Trump. 
like, you know, one of the things that we overlook about Trump, and honestly, I even think rightly, because like his policy stuff was so bad, and that was like the bulk of the harm he was doing, so that's more important to talk about. But like, just the brazen, over-the-top, absurd, amazing lies. My favorite Trump lie he ever told. Do you remember this story? He said, um, he used to call these like, you know, these magazines, these like smutty uh, celebrity magazines. Yeah. And be like, this is John Barron. I'm Trump's publicist. (laughs) Right. And they'd be like, okay, what's going on? And he's like, just so you know, like Madonna and all of these amazing, beautiful celebrities, they all want to sleep with John, with Donald Trump. It's amazing. I'm John (laughs) Barron. I am not Donald Trump. And when he ran, they, I remember they had a literal recording of Trump talking to these people. They released it on like one of entertainment tonight or some shit. And he, he was just like, that's not me. That's not me. That's not me at all. And it's like, uh, um, what? This is we <laughs> so fucking obvious. hear you, bro. It's right here. And by I, the way, I believe he no also claimed. Anymore, of I course, believe he also claimed. I believe he also claimed that he was like the top baseball prospect in the city of New yeah, York. Yeah, he is just something also, like that. Uh, amazing considering how many Dominican people are in New York City. But just the thought that Trump would be a top prospect in any sport is hilarious, but baseball even more so. But yeah, I mean, I think it just gets back to this idea that like uh, Donald Trump, perfect example. It's just like uh, the brazenness of his lies are like are, are why people like him. And that's right. why he gets away with it. And the thing is like the average, I, I know like, you know, in our conception of politics, like, oh, that's so indecent. It's like, you know, contra the sort of Aaron Sorkin West Wing view of what we want and the people who represent us. But like the thing is like um, to just fake it till you make it and just lie that openly and just get away with it is what I think the average person uh, aspires to accomplish. I mean, we all look good or evil. I think like it's 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 a um, it's, it's an instinct that I think most people are familiar with. It is not totally alien to the human heart or to the American character. Yeah, well, and it's also, there's a thin line between con man and, you know, mega success in America. And like Elon Musk, I think, is teaching us all about that in real time where it's like, you know, this guy is sold as this generational level genius. And a lot of people really believe that. And then he ends up at the helm of Twitter. He buys Twitter and it's just a total shit show and mess. But you see it also with, you know, like Elizabeth Holmes and the the Theranos thing where she wasn't able to keep her scam going long enough for her to actually get the technology working and whatever. But if she had been able to get a little more investment capital, be able to fool some more people for a little bit longer and maybe get the technology off the ground, then instead of going to prison, she's being lauded first female billionaire and she's on the cover of everything. And there's an alternative world where that all works out for her. And she's seen as genius visionary instead of uh, criminal. And yeah, like I, I think it's the sense that like uh, no one, no one wants to be left standing when the music stops, and like the chairs are getting removed one after the other. And I think that's what we're seeing with this crypto bust, with just like the just the inflation of ridiculous speculative cycle after one after the other of just like everybody, like no one wants to be left standing because I think like I, I, everyone understands that like all, all this the interest rates are being raised, all this free money is going away. And like uh, uh, so much of what was heralded as uh, genius or uh, paradigm shifting technology or whatever was just the result of like the the Fed and having like basically just all this free money available that like anyone could be a fucking genius under those under those terms. And like like I said, like now now the music stops and everyone's rushing for a chair, and you know, and then like in in, in 
in an economy in a world that's like that's run that irrationally like who wants to be authentic like who wants to be an authentic genius like that's boring like so uh so like yeah just just be a like the the brazen self-promotion because like that's the genius of elon musk like elon musk genius was marketing himself as a genius right trump too same thing same same thing and and yeah i mean there was a time in this country and tom hartman talks about this all the time where it's like you could have a high school degree you know, go work at the the local factory, make a on one person working, you can afford a car, a house, even a little vacation home not too far away. And it was like an honest life. It was an honest, decent life that created like decent people. But in today's economy, like that world doesn't exist anymore. We outsourced all those jobs to China. Now we got people in this shitty fucking gig economy where they work ridiculous hours. They don't make nearly enough money to survive. And then they got to decide, hey, I guess I'll go on OnlyFans and swing my balls around for an extra $14 an hour or whatever the <laughs> fuck, you know? It's like, what kind of people are you going to expect to create in a system that's so backwards and doesn't actually reward like decent people working hard? You're going you're gonna to see fucking Donald Trump's and George Santos's and people like that. So it's almost unsurprising in a way. Yeah, I mean, the influence, like the influencer economy is a great example of that where... Andrew Tate? Yeah, exactly, where you can, you know, portray this lifestyle and this status. And if it's guys, it's like you're going to get the girl and you're going to get the luxury good. Or like for women, it's you're going to be beautiful and you're going to be happy and you're going to be fulfilled. What I just buy my skincare line or whatever. And that's sort of the... That's sort of the aspirational side hustle for people now, too, where it's like if you, too, can create this fake, phony life that you can sell to people, maybe you can actually get a taste of what that life would actually be. And, uh, you know, uh, say, say what you know about Andrew Tate, uh, contra all, everyone else uh, working in that same uh you know, in that same lane of a masculinity lifestyle influencer, at least Andrew Tate showed his face and his Bugattis like on on online on Twitter. Like as as much cap as much as he was capping, at least he uh, appeared as uh, like, he appeared similar to uh, the image that you have in your head of um, Romanian internet sex trafficker. <laughs> like his lifestyle, uh, like uh, his lifestyle, just appeared to be a one to one matchup. So like, what he was selling you is some like, you know, depressed, alienated young man, you could look at him and be like, oh, um, like, yeah, like Andrew Tate, he is top G. Look, he does have a Bugatti. Look, there's all these beautiful women around him who can't leave and have their passports in a safe somewhere. But, uh, but you know, like, but, but the vast majority of these guys, like, don't even show their own face on Twitter. So, like, hmm. you know, if I, if, I, if, I see, if I see a Twitter account, then it's, like, masculine millennial or whatever. <laughs> and the Abby is just, like, a stock photo of a guy with just, like, a, a male torso, I'm like, I don't, I, I don't believe you. Like, just show me, drop a video of you doing some push-ups or something. Like, I, <laughs> I, you know, how do I buy this unless I can see, uh, you know, like the, <laughs> I, need, I need to see evidence that the advice that you're pitching to me has manifested itself in your life at all. Were you as surprised as I was at the rise of like the Andrew Tate types, at least with Jordan Peterson back before he went to, Russia for some weird benzo treatment and his brain started melting out of his ears. Back in the day, at least he had some like self-help guru psychology stuff, which I could understand why others might be really attracted to that and get into that. Then he all this now he's just a Daily Wire Ben Shapiro, like far right kind of weirdo. But um with Andrew Tate, like I really maybe naively thought on some level that like this sort of over the top fake machismo like 
<laughs> Uberman man masculinity nonsense. Like, I didn't think that would ever make a comeback again. I thought that died back when Chuck Norris was making shitty TV shows and movies where he would, like, destroy 17 bad guys in one go. And, I mean, there's always been like, the Liam Neeson types, whatever. There's always been movies like that. But, like, I never thought there would be Yeah, a Liam character. Neeson has been, uh, you know... Uh... Liam Neeson's been tracking down Andrew Tate for kidnapping right. his daughter. In <laughs> exactly. Paris. Like, but did you ever think this would like reemerge? This sort of weird, super yeah, masculine face. It, it shit? really doesn't surprise me. I mean, it, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, it doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, like, because I mean, Andrew Tate is a guy that, like, I don't know. Like, I've, I feel like I've, uh, you know, I. I I have a friend who has been very plugged into the uh, masculinity influencer thing for a while now. So I've been looking at Andrew Top G posts for a while, and they've always been hilarious to me. Like the fact that like he had an in-house wizard for a while. There's just a lot of really <laughs> hilarious details we gotta about, get one of those. about Top G and Coco Bertain, yeah, uh, of Wudan, you know, like, yeah. But it, it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me because, you know, uh, at the end of the day, like, Guys want to get laid. Guys want to feel powerful. Guys want to feel desirable to women. And if you don't feel that way, then I think like, you know, like you're, you're, you can, like so much of your self-worth is, is um, contained in like your, uh, your success with women or like how much money you make or whatever. And as long as you feel like a deficit in that regard, or like you don't see any way um, to, to better yourself, like, like I said, like, I, I think you become very vulnerable to things like, uh, you know, like lifestyle influencers, or like I said, like going back to the, uh, something I said earlier, it's like, if you can't be um, loved or respected or like have love in your life, at least you can, you know, have like a, assuage yourself with this idea that you're like uh, scaring people or that you're, you know, like you're the, the, the violence of like the truth, the, the grim and brutal truths that you're now um, imbibing or like is too, is too real and authentic for like our, our, you know, a modern pussified feminized society. So that like your rejection becomes, I think like, you know, and like uh, I've experienced this myself as long as we're talking about like, you know, alienated young men. I think if you feel that way, uh, lonely and you hate yourself for long enough, uh, you begin to um, romanticize your own um, wretchedness or like the, the pain mm. that you feel about being like rejected or um, just like, you know, less than the person that you thought you would be. I think you'd be like, I think like it's very, very easy to sort of fall in love with that and attempt to, um, in fact, intensify it and make it worse because you, you think it's like that, 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 that feeling, there's an intimacy there that you know and are familiar with. But more than anything, I think like the, the, the lie, the belief that like it affords you some sort of nobility. Mm. That, like that, that your suffering is not just like you being a failure as a person or like, you know, you hating yourself essentially is what we're talking about, but that it actually ennobles you and it makes your, your suffering or struggle some sort of, it, it imbued it with like this mythic, like world historical resonance. Is that what you saw in, he made that post, Kyle and I talked about it, that was like, you're terrible, you're worthless, I, yeah, like, I would you're need a to live a shit. day in your life. Yeah. Like that seems to sort of speak to that yeah. romanticizing of wretchedness that you were discussing. Well, yeah, like, and, and, and if you can't really change that, like I said, like now, now you have, uh, like I said, this, you, you, you can afford for yourself this kind of like uh, the, 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 a, a macho feeling of intimidating other people. But like, but, but, you know, via proxy, like via top G who like, you know, all, all the scolds and the media are telling you is dangerous or whatever. And, oh, he's such a bad guy or whatever. Then you can feel like, oh, like he must be, there must be some truth there. And like, and not only that, like they're, they're saying that I'm a scary, dangerous guy because I'm, I subscribe to his lifestyle brand. 
Mm. It's just, I guess what's so interesting to me about it is how over the top it is. Because, yeah, when I was also a disaffected young man at one point, and Corn and I used to, you know, talk about stuff that wasn't Andrew Tate, like, like Andrew Tate, but you could say it was sort of Andrew Tate adjacent. Like, back in the day, they had, like, the pickup artist guys, which were, like, Andrew Tate, but, you know, take them <laughs> off the human growth hormone and the steroids and reel it in a solid, like, 60%, and then mm-hmm. you get the pickup artist. And, like, the idea that was common at the time was, like, we'd call it the game. Like, bro, you got to play the game. When she texts you, don't respond for, like, two hours, bro. She's going to want you so bad, dog. You have no idea. Like, yeah, these That's are the how it won me over, Will. Right there. Revealed the secret. I had, my, I had my stopwatch right there. Like, all right, two hours. Let's go. But no, like... Yeah, any, this, any disaffected young men listening right now, start taking notes. Because we're going yeah. to spit the facts about, you know. And so I, program But my point is, like... To. I get it. I get a uh, feeling like you're a disaffected young man. Nobody wants me. And you got, it's almost like you play this Machiavellian game where you sort of like, let me craft this persona and act a certain way that makes me more attractive. But all the things I felt like it's a gross game, first of all. But even if you put that aside, there was at least some sort of a um, like hiding the real shittiness about it. Whereas the whole point of Andrew Tate is like, I'm going to put I'm going to put it all out there. You know what mm. I mean? Like, I'm going to be as shitty as humanly possible, and you guys are going to like that. And I guess that's the thing that's that's mind-blowing to me, is how how much of a caricature he is, and also how gigantic he became. So, so obviously this stuff was landing, and I think that speaks to, like, you know, we've talked about this. Not to, not to blame the left, because obviously it's his fault, and all those people who go down that rabbit hole have agency. But yeah, I do think the left should be uh, finding a way to sort of grab people from that group, you know what I mean? F- give people a pipeline out and, and give them arguments which sort of counteract that and let them know, like, there's a different way and you haven't even heard a lot of the counter arguments yet and I'm going to provide them for you. Well, I mean, look, uh, that uh, <laughs> no, I, I agree with you as long as I don't have to do that job. As long as I don't have to be a new fucking parent for... <laughs> the way I, you know, like a, like a, like a younger version of myself, like, you know, you ha- have at it if you want to be like, you know, start a uh, uh, positive masculine lifestyle coaching. Cause you know, like, look, uh, everyone's lonely. Everyone like, you know, like, uh, uh, sex, desire, romance, like nobody emerges in this life unscathed from having to, to deal with it. It's, it's sort of, well, we're all fated in one way or another to, to, to be to be damaged in some way by our desires, but like that being said, I think like the the thing that separates um like Tate and the, the, this new this this new breed of like you know uh, liver eating ball tanning uh you know seed oil avoidant um masculinity lifestyle is that like unlike let's say uh, the game or like negging and pickup artistry, which you know did have a practical program that like for all its flaws. It, it, like it, it is basically like not the worst advice you could give someone who is struggling to like date and uh, talk to women or whatever. Um, but like that, like, you know, and, but essentially at the end of the day, it was saying like, like it, it, the problem is with you. Like you can change your behavior, like you know, certain, like certain things that you can change about yourself that like, are behaviors that will produce better results. Whereas I think the thing now, like as it's been co-opted by the far right, is it's just such a totalizing view of how, not only it points out how disempowered you are, but it doesn't provide any way out of that. Like, I think it only further disempowers you because like, if you inculcate a worldview in which like literally every single thing from like the food you eat, the music you listen to, the relationships you have, everything that like art, music, friendship, love, all of it is like, is just tainted in some horrible way. 
uh, I think like that that produces the exact opposite of you know personal or masculine empowerment. I think it only greatly further uh, metastasizes and makes worse the alienation and feelings of hatred that you have for yourself, and uh, you know, of course, by extension, the rest of the world. Yeah. And in the meantime, you know, if you're caught up in their scheme, you could also be losing money, especially if it's like the crypto version of these scams that are taking you in where you're like literally losing your life savings now. Uh, Yeah, there's there's been plenty of alienated young men who have lost a shitload of money on crypto and NFTs. So I'd be thrilled to see where that where that goes in the next couple of years. Yeah. Well, Will, um, we really appreciate your time. It's very fun to talk to you. What are you like? What are you looking forward to in 2023? What are you what are you hopeful for? Oh, OK. I, well, just, uh, I'm, uh, you know, there's got to be some uh, uh, Dune Part 2 that's coming out in uh, 2023. <laughs> I think that's the main thing I'm hopeful for, looking forward to this year. Uh-huh. Uh, I have to think a lot. I have to think a long and hard. But if I if I could just uh, just just mildly plug here for a second. Uh, one thing I'm looking forward to is the launch of the Chapo Trap House miniseries, Hell on Earth, The 30 Years War, that is dropping on uh, January 11th. And we are having a uh, podcast launch party for that at Littlefield in Brooklyn on January 20th. So it'll be a, a sort of a live taping of an episode of uh, with Matt Chrisman and Chris Wade of Hell on Earth, our new history-based miniseries about the birth of capitalism and the 30 Years War. And where will people be able to check that out? Our Patreon, Chapo Trap House at Patreon. There you go. And by the way, everybody already knows this, but I'll say it again. I'm a massive, massive Chapo stan. I listen to them all the time. I think every one of them is brilliant. Will's brilliant. Matt's brilliant. Felix is brilliant. Now we've had all you guys on the show. Super exciting. Um, So yeah, keep up the great work, man. And also tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter too, because you're a good Twitter follow. At Will Menneker on Twitter. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, brother. We appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate it. Crystal, Kyle, thank you. nice to talk to you. Nice Very to talk nice to you to too, talk man. To you too. Thanks. All right, guys, that was Will Menneker from the uh, awesome show Chapo Trap House. Do you listen to them or no? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes? Is it when you're with me or just randomly? Sometimes? No, just randomly. Yeah. Do you, uh, is it like YouTube clips or do you do... Uh, no, I do a podcast. Do you actually listen to the podcast? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, it, there was off air, I was telling them, Acid Marxist is this YouTube channel that just somebody made that it's not, they're not part of Chapo and they post so much Chapo stuff and they have like good titles. Oh, really? And I almost feel bad because I'm watching usually over there and not on their channel. But that's just you know like the most convenient for you. Well, yeah, it's what I get recommended this stuff from mm. there the most and then I'll listen to that. Yeah, well, you're more of a YouTube person. I'm probably more of a podcast person. Yeah, but general. I am I am opening up more. You're switching over. Yeah, now. well, not switching over, but I just, it's a balance now. It's a balance. And that's also because now the Kyle Klinsky show is on uh, podcast Great plug. outlets. So. At least on Spotify. You might want to check that out. You know what I'm saying? It's actually on everyone except uh, Apple Apple, because somebody had already did the Kyle Klinsky show and used to post all my old shows there. And so I wasn't mm. able to get the Kyle Klinsky show over there. So That's obnoxious. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure we'll figure something out. Yeah. Way to work around that. But just watch it. Listen to it on Spotify if you want to listen to it. Uh, anyway, enough with the shameless plugs. Um, good conversation. Definitely. I thought his... His insights into the like masculinity lifestyle brand dudes were uh, this is like my new sort of fascination is the rise of all these different con artists and in that space in particular. But, you know, I'm also kind of obsessed with this 
this other world that markets to Midwestern housewives and what they're selling to them. Like there's, you know, the Andrew Tates of the world are selling to dudes, like get the girls, get the money and get the status. This is like selling to women have some independent adult identity outside of being mommy, have some independence, make a little cash, like feel a little sexy and interesting again. And uh, it's equally successful. And there's a whole ecosystem of these like, you know, influencers and multi-level marketing schemes and whatever that is tailor-made for that particular demographic. What's funny is that with the Tate stuff, if I was given a young guy advice, it would be do whatever the opposite of Andrew Tate says. Yeah. Because it's, like I said, it's just such a caricature. Well, Tate apparently has to like, he can win the girls over to begin with, but then he literally like confiscates their passports and like doesn't let them leave. So it's not really a recipe for any sort of mutuality or the girl actually wanting to be in this relationship for any extended period of time. Correct. So massive scam economy type stuff. Um, on On the fight going on right now with the Republicans. Yeah. Yeah, do you agree with my analysis that, like, on the one hand, I'm kind of jealous because they're fighting and the left flank never fights the Democratic leadership. Yeah. So I'm jealous on that front, but it's also a totally different scenario because what they're fighting for is, like, the dumbest shit ever. And it's, like, fundamentally, it's, like, nothing. They're fighting over nothing. Well, the best possible scenario is that they're fighting over nothing. Because it's not like the— bull. I mean, listen, there might be some— Like, I saw that— um, one of the asks is for some investigatory committee to look into the surveillance, balls. <laughs> the surveillance state. <laughs> okay. Like that's, that would be good. But so there might be like some little few one-off things that. there. I didn't see that. Ryan Grimm had it this morning okay. and other, other people reporting it. But yeah, so, I mean, there might be some little one-off things there. I'm like, okay, I could get on board with that. But most of the stuff that the bulk of this group wants is completely destructive and odious. So in my opinion, the best case scenario is that it's actually just a fight over aesthetics and posturing and ultimately nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we'll see what happens. Um, Guys, we love y'all very much. Uh, If you aren't yet, I don't know why this wouldn't be the case. I mean, this should already be the case if you ask me, but maybe, maybe you should go over to Substack and you should subscribe to Crystal Kyle and Friends. And in the process of doing that, you pay the five bucks a month and then you get the video and you get it a day early. Maybe, maybe, you know, I'm just putting it out there. I'm just putting it out there. Real ones do that. Fake ones, who we still love, by the way, uh, can sign up on Substack for free and get the audio and get it uh, a day later. And, um, you know, thank you guys for supporting the show. It really means the world. And remember, we never talk to any advertisers. Uh, We try to make it as pure as possible. It's just five bucks a pop, and that's how we do it. So um, thanks for the support. We love you. If you don't support, get it together. Uh, And we'll talk to you next week. Peace. Love y'all. See you soon.